If you got a Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. So last week we started uh, what's going to be a series that's going to take us through the rest of the summer, the rest of July at least, um, talking about Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, the hall of faith. And if you were here last week, you'll remember this. Maybe if you're not here last week, here's what we talked about. We looked at verse 1, which says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's a definition of faith. It teaches us that faith looks to the future with assurance of God's promises, that God has promised us a future with Him, a future hope, and that we have assurance of that. But also, too, we learned last week that we look at the present with a confidence that God is at work. That even when things seem dark, even when things seem hopeless, that God is at work. Last Sunday night we studied verse 3, which says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And we discussed how uh, that as believers in Christ, we, we must hold on to the idea, the belief, the truth uh, that God created the universe literally in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And how Genesis chapter 1 and 2, or really Genesis 1 through 11, which is the, the debated part of Genesis, is factual historical truth. And that our faith is built upon those chapters. That, that there's so much there that is foundational to what we believe. But before we get into the rest of this chapter and we begin talking about the many heroes and all the great things that they do, um, I feel like there's something that needs to be said from verse 2. Let's look at verse 2 real quickly. It says, For by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation or their approval from God. Now the great men and the great women that, that we find in this chapter, let me make sure we all understand this, all these individuals we're going to read about in this chapter were not approved by God because of the things that they did. They were approved by God because of their great faith, because of the faith that they had in God. It can be easy as we read through Hebrews chapter 11, as I've done in my life and maybe you've done in yours, it can be easy to read through this chapter and to be in awe of all the wonderful things that these people did, um, from building arks to answering God's call and leaving a homeland and going into strange places to hiding spies to stopping the mouths of lions. But praising their works is not the point of the chapter. That's not what Hebrews 11 is about. I mean, yes, the author points out their deeds, but he does so only to demonstrate the power of faith in their lives. We're going to read over and over in this chapter that every single time it states what a person does, it will say, by faith they did whatever they did. The only way that they did those things was because of the faith that they had in God. If you removed the faith, the works would have disappeared. And so what I want to make sure we understand is that faith produced the works in the lives of these heroes, not the other way around. It was not that they did these works and God approved them. No, they had faith and God approved them. And because of their faith, God then did mighty works through them. And so as we study this, what I want to make sure we do is that we praise and we imitate the faith that they had more than we praise and we try to imitate the works that they did. And so as we, as we read through this chapter, don't compare specific deeds that they did with your specific deeds. You're not called to build an ark. Instead, compare the faith that they had in, in the Lord God with the faith that you have. So let's look at verse 4. Today we're going to look at the lives of Abel, Enoch, and Noah. 
And so let's look at verse 4 and we'll look at the life of Abel first. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Through the example of Abel this morning, I want us to be reminded that by faith we come to the Lord for salvation. That it is by faith that we come to the Lord God to be saved. I think it's interesting what you'll find in this chapter is that the author begins to work chronologically through Genesis and into the Old Testament. And he begins with Abel. And he tells us that Abel brought a more acceptable sacrifice to the Lord uh, than his brother Cain did. Now turn over to Genesis chapter 4. I want us to read the original story in Genesis chapter 4 in verse 1. And we'll read Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Or actually, it's going to be on the screen, but you can turn there too if you want to. So we're coming off of Genesis chapter 3. The fall has taken place. God's judgment has come. God tells Adam and Eve, tells Adam and Eve that, that, that there's going to come one from the line of, of Adam and Eve that are going to crush the head of the serpent. And it says in, in, in Genesis 4, verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Now let me just tell you this. I believe Eve thought that this was the answer. I believe that Eve thought that this first child that she had was going to be the one. That's why she said, I have conceived a man. And in other words, she's saying, I have received the man that's going to take care of things. How she's going to be disappointed. Verse 2, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I spent a good bit of time this week um, studying this passage, trying to figure out this question. What was wrong with Cain's offering? I, I, I read a lot of different things. Gary and I spent a good bit of time talking in our office this week, talking through, like, what, what is it? That, why was it that God did not receive Cain's offering, but he did receive Abel's offering? Some people believe that it's because it says specifically um, that, that Abel brought the first of his flock and their fat portions, and so it's a first fruits, they thought, and it, is, it doesn't say that about Cain. It just says that Cain brought part of his harvest, but it doesn't say that it was a first fruits offering. Some, some have said that it was because of the fact that, that Abel brought a blood sacrifice, whereas Cain did not. And, and so often in Scripture, you see that, that, that the sacrifice for sin is a blood offering. However, much to my disappointment, the text doesn't tell us why. As much as I wanted to find that perfect, clear answer that's going to say, oh, that was why, that was what Cain did wrong, um, that, and this is what Abel did right, I could not find it. And so instead of trying to make the text say something that it doesn't say clearly, here's what I came up with, and I think this is the safest answer. The difference wasn't in what they offered. The difference was in the heart of the one making the offering. Because it's in Hebrews 11.4 that it says, By faith, Abel made an offering to God. That Abel came 
in faith. Now, I do believe this. I believe that God had commanded them what to do. And I believe that this was something that they had done on a regular basis. It said in the course of time. That's a Hebrew phrase meaning the end of days. I believe this was a Sabbath offering. It was the end of the days. It was the end of week. Just like on the Sabbath, God rested. On the Sabbath, they would bring that offering in. And so I believe this was something that was regular. This was something that was, that was commanded. We don't have the record of it, but I do believe that. And most likely, these two were adults. They had probably done this before. And so here they come bringing their offerings. They would have known what was expected. And it says, by faith, in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith that Abel presented an offering to God, that he offered that offering to God. And I believe it was as much about his heart as it was about the content of the offering. I believe it was much about the fact that he had come to God, surrendered in faith, believing that God would receive him if he, if he came to God by his path. Psalm 51, 17 says this, and I think it's key to understanding this. It says, The sacrifice that you, God, desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. I believe Abel came to God by God's way, in humility, with a repentant heart, broken over his sin. He came to the Lord, making his offering, asking for God's mercy. But Cain, on the other hand, I believe came his own way, in the way of self-righteousness, in the way of arrogance, believing that he really probably didn't need to do this. Maybe it was just out of routine that he had done this. I mean, maybe it was that it wasn't a blood offering. Maybe it was that it was supposed to have been a blood offering, but maybe it was that he, because he's a farmer, he said, well, I'm just going to bring what I have. Or maybe I don't want to have to go to my brother and buy something from him to offer to God. Why can't God just take what I offer him, take what I can grow? I believe that most definitely Cain did not have faith in the Lord. He did not have faith in God's way. He did not have faith in God's command. His faith was in his own ability, in his own way. And I believe it shows in the fact that he got angry not with God, but with his brother. He was mad because his way didn't work, but Abel's way did work because Abel had come by faith. You know, it's by faith that we must come to the Lord for salvation, but we must do it by His terms. We don't determine our own path to God. We don't determine our own path to eternal life. In fact, I would say this, our opinions don't even matter on the, on the account. Our opinions, our ideas don't amount to anything when it comes to determining the way to salvation. You know, I did a little research this week, and you know that just in the USA alone, there are, other, there are over 300 known religions. I'm not talking about different denominations of Christianity. I'm talking about Christianity plus 300 others. 300 different ways that people think that they can get to eternal life. 300 different ways that they think that people can get to, get to God. And that's not even mentioning the different opinions inside those 300 and some odd different ways. So you're probably talking about thousands of different ways that people have come up with to say, this is the way to eternal life. This is the way to God. This is the way to whatever they want to call heaven. But yet we know the truth of the scripture teaches us that there's not many ways. There is one way. And by faith, we must come to God in the only way that God offers, and that is through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that it says, There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only the name 
of Jesus. But here's the really good news. Here's what I want to make sure we all understand. Is that God will receive us by faith. That is a promise. That is a guarantee that if we come to the Lord through Jesus Christ and place our faith in Him, we will be received just as God received Abel by faith. It is God's promise and God never turns back on His word. Let's look at verse 5. And let's look at the life of Enoch. It says, By faith, Hebrews eleven five, 5, Enoch was taken up so he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, I believe from the example of Enoch, we can learn this, that by faith we walk with the Lord. That it's by faith that we develop a faithful walk with the Lord. Now, just like with Abel, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot on the life of Enoch. Go over to Genesis chapter 5. If you're still in Genesis 4, flip to Genesis 5, verse 21. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen if, if you can't get there. In verse 18 through 20, it tells us that Enoch was, was born to a man by the name of Jared. But then in verse 21, we have the account of Enoch's life. And it says that when Enoch had lived for 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Now, you might know that Methuselah was the man that lived the longest of all. He lived 969 years, we're told, down in verse 27. But it says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters... Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, I never noticed this until this past week. But, you know, something happened in the life of Enoch, and I believe it was his faith in Jesus, or in, in God. He didn't know Jesus' name at this point, but he placed his faith in God. It says that, that Enoch had lived 65 years, and then he fathered Methuselah. In verse 22, it says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah, for 300 years. I believe up until that point in which he fathered Methuselah, that Enoch was most likely a lost man. That he most likely was not walking with the Lord. That he was living a lost life. But something about that role of parenthood, y'all tell me this, if you're a parent, you, you probably would agree with this. There is something about having a child of your own that will sober you up. That will make you say, it's time to grow up. It's time for me to act like an adult. It's time for me to do the right thing. It's time for me to get my life in order. And I believe that was the case in Enoch's life because it says that after he fathered Methuselah, he walked with God for 300 years. Something changed, and he was transformed. And I believe it was faith that changed him. Now, that Greek phrase there in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that he pleased God. And that comes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the Septuagint... Um, the, the phrase walked with God is translated pleased God. And those two really go together because the one who pleases God is the one who is going to walk with God. I believe that phrase walk with God talks about our daily devotion to him. I believe Enoch was a man who walked with the Lord in every aspect of his life. I, I believe he was a man of prayer. I believe he was a man of devotion. I believe he was a man who allowed the Lord to speak into every part of his life. And because of his faithfulness, we find out here in Genesis that God did not require him to go through the pathway of death. But instead it says that God took him. And, and to describe how that happened, I like the way that, that um, J. Vernon McGee told the story. He tells it kind of like this. 
This is kind of like what the heavenly imagination type thing, you know. He believed that it went something like this, that there was once a man named Enoch, and Enoch loved God and God loved him. And every day God would come by Enoch's house and invite him to take a walk. And they would, and they would go on a journey, and they would walk, and they would talk about life, and, and Enoch would share with him his heart, and God would give him wisdom and would give him guidance and would encourage him and would lift him up. But one day God came to Enoch's house, and, and he said, Enoch, let's take a little longer walk today. So Enoch grabbed his coat, Enoch packed his lunch, and they took off on their walk. And they walked and they talked, and they walked and they talked, enjoying one another's company until, one, until the end of the day started to draw near. And Enoch looked up and he said, God, I'm far away from my home. God, it's time that we turn back and begin to go back to my home. But at that point, God looked at Enoch and said this. He said, Enoch, you're closer to my home now than your own home. So let's go on home with me. And God took him to heaven. You know, once we have trusted the Lord for salvation, our faith ought to lead us to want to walk with the Lord, to want to walk with Him in prayer and in the study of His Word, in praise and in worship and in devotion to His commands. And I believe that we could summarize a faithful walk with the Lord with, with three words, place, path, and pace. And this is what I mean by that. Uh, first of all, we'll say this, that if we're going to walk with something, we have, someone, we have to agree on the place to which we are headed, right? If you're going to go on a walk with, with, with a friend and you say, hey, let's go on a walk together, you've got to agree where you're headed. You know, I, I don't know how many of you have had this happen to you, but have you ever gotten in the car to go to dinner with your spouse and uh, you crank up the car and you can't decide where to go? And you look at each other, and usually the conversation goes something like this. You look and say, hey, honey, where do you want to go? And she'll look back at you and say, oh, it doesn't matter to me. We can go wherever you want. And you'll say, hey, how about we go to the Mexican place? And she'll say, well, I don't really want Mexican today. And then you'll say, well, where do you want to go? Well, it doesn't matter to me, whatever you want. And you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? We've had times in our family where we've hopped in the car with our boys, and it made it worse once we had children come along, because then you have two other opinions who you don't really think should count, but somehow they do. And, uh, and you, you start driving. And we've had more than, more than one occasion. I probably have lost count of the number of times that we've gotten in the car, we've cranked the car, I've started driving, and I made the mistake of pulling out before I ever said, where are we going for sure? And we'd start heading one way, and then we would decide, oh, no, now we're going here. And then we'd say, no, now we're going here. And we waste a lot of gas and a lot of time going back and forth because we did not agree on the place to which we were headed. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we've got to walk in God's direction. To walk with the Lord means we are setting our life on a path that will take us toward Christ, pursuing the Lord's will and not our own. Our destination is to be with the Lord, so we have to walk to the Lord. But I would say we also have to agree on the path. You know, we could, we could get done with church today, and we could say, hey, we're all going to meet together at Herb Parsons Lake. Now, we all would think the common sense way would be that there's one path to Herb Parsons Lake. There pretty much is, right? But there are other ways that you could get there. You could, instead of going straight down Macon Road and turning right on Fisherville Road, you could go down Collierville Arlington Road and take Monterey Road. It would take you a long time to get there, but you could get there that way if you wanted to. Or we could say, what if we said, hey, we're all going to meet at a restaurant over by the Wolf Chase Mall. We all might take different paths to get there, but we're not walking together unless we're on the same path. If we're walking with the Lord, we have to remember that God does not go our way. We go His way. And His way has been laid out clearly in His Word. And if we're going to walk with the Lord, we must walk by the path of His 
word. We do not arrive at Christ-likeness in any other path but than by the path of the word, the word of God. But I would also say this lastly, that we have to agree on the pace. We have to agree to walk by the Lord's pace. Now, I'm about six foot two, somewhere in there, depending on what shoes I got on that day. Um, my boys are about four foot four or so, and I have learned, um, being a six foot two guy, um, that I can easily outwalk my boys. And I have had to remind myself multiple times, like, I cannot walk as fast as I normally walk when I'm walking with my kids. Because even though they are fast, their legs just will not carry them the same speed that, that my legs will carry me. I learned that when we went to uh, Disney World with the kids um, about a year ago or so. And uh, here we were, I was just trucking across the park and they are just dying to keep up with me. You know, they can't keep up with me. And even my wife couldn't because she's five foot something. Um, we had to learn to walk at the same pace. Now, sometimes when we walk with the Lord, as we, as we try to pursue the Lord in prayer and as we try to pursue the Lord in obedience, there are times when we fail to walk at His pace. Sometimes we get impatient with the Lord. We, we, we pray and we, we, we don't know what to do in a situation and we make up our mind as to what we want to do, but yet God has not said go yet. And God has slowed down or God has stopped and He has said don't pursue that path, but we get, we get tired, we get frustrated with the Lord and we say I'm going to walk at my own pace and we get ahead of Him. And what happens when that happens? We fall into sin, don't we? We make decisions that we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have made. But I think the same thing can be true because sometimes we cannot get ahead of the Lord, but sometimes we get behind the Lord. God opens a door. God makes a command. God calls us to do something. And instead of walking along with the Lord, we say, you know what, oh, God, I don't really know if I want to do that. And we back off and we slow down and the Lord gets ahead of us and we fail to keep up with Him. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we have to stay at God's pace and slow down when He slows down and speed up when He speeds up always following His path headed toward His place. But you know, there's a promise that comes with the life of Enoch that I think we need to remember, that God will reward those who choose to walk with Him. It says in verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. So without faith you can't walk with God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. There's the promise that if we walk by faith and we pursue the Lord, God will reward us. That we will receive a heavenly reward. That we will receive blessings. That we will receive a godly character. That God will pour into us. He will speak to us. But let's look at verse 7. And let's look at the life of Noah lastly. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God, by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Lastly, I would say this. By faith we obey the Lord. It is by faith that we walk in obedience. I believe Noah's life is a tremendous example of a faith that led to radical obedience. Now, the original story, we won't read it all day, comes from Genesis chapter 6 through 9. You could read that tonight if you want to. And we're told that by faith, here in Hebrews 11, we're told that by faith, Noah built an ark for his family after being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. 
He was called to action without yet having seen what was going to take place. All he had was the word of God, and he had to trust that word by faith. But to understand the extent of, of Noah's obedience, I think we need to consider uh, the situation as best we can understand it. Here's what we can, we can know of the situation. Up until this point in history, Genesis 6, um, it is quite possible that it had never rained on the earth. We don't know that for sure, but it is very much quite possible because in Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it talks about how no rain had fallen upon the earth and how God would cause a dew to rise up from the ground to water the plants. And so... As far as we know, it had never rained by Genesis chapter 6. But yet God comes to Noah and says, I'm going to cause a flood. Now in his mind, there might have been this thought, what in the world is a flood? What is rain? I've never seen any of these things. But yet he had to trust. But also consider that, that Noah is spoken of as the only righteous person on the face of the earth. We're told that Noah walked with God, much like Enoch walked with God. But the earth, we're told, was full of violence and evil to the extent to which God had decided that he was going to wipe everyone off the face of the earth, every creature on the land off the face of the earth, except for what made it into the ark, what God allowed to come into the ark. Now, how do you think all those evil people reacted to the sight of a man building a boat in the middle of a dry field and telling them that that boat was going to be occupied by only his family and animals that came two by two. What do you think that their reaction was in that moment? Disbelief? Anger? How dare you say that I'm a sinner? How dare you say that God's going to judge me? Now we don't know how long it took Noah to build this ark, but we're thinking somewhere between 50 to 100 years considering the size of the vessel, considering the fact that they did not have power tools, and considering the fact that he had a workforce of four men and that was it. And so for decades, decades, I mean, consider that. God called him to do something. Events as yet unseen. He has to build this boat for decades. For decades, he trusted that the Lord was actually going to do what he said he was going to do to the point where, in which he fa remained faithful and obedient to every part of the Lord's commands. It says in Genesis chapter 6, 22, that Noah did all that God commanded him. It actually tells us that four times in, in Genesis 6 and in 7. It tells us four times that Noah did all that God commanded him. And so his faith was not just a concept. He didn't just say he believed the word of God. He actually did the word of God. There was no, it wasn't just a mental agreement. It was a physical agreement because he literally did what God called him to do. And it said in Hebrews 11, it says there that his obedience condemned the world. Because I believe it served as a testimony of God's coming judgment. You see, I believe that those people that had seen that ark probably heard the testimony of what was coming. But did they repent? No. And in their arrogance and in their refusal, they were condemned. You know, in reality, Noah's life is the perfect picture of Hebrews 11.1, 1, is it not? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. God has promised him that he will come through the flood. And the conviction of things unseen. He is, he is living on the assurance that God is going to bring about judgment. And because of that faith, Noah was willing to obey. 
radically against the forces that were around him, regardless of the opinions of others, he obeyed and he walked to the point that I believe that it marked him. I believe that it easily easily identified him as a follower of God because of the fact that he was obeying. He seemed like a crazy person. But there was no denying that there was something, someone who was commanding Noah what to do, and Noah was following it without wavering. It marked him. I want to bring us back to close this morning. I want to bring us back to Hebrews 11.4 one more time. And I want you to see something that I, I, I realized this week. We had a funeral at the church yesterday. And uh, it got me thinking about this. In Hebrews 11.4, it says that Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And then it says this, And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Though he died, he still speaks. You know, we've had a lot of funerals this year, in the past couple years, really. I was talking with this about... to someone yesterday and we were talking about just the number of funerals we had is just one after another after another after another um, whether we like to admit it we don't want to think about this much but the truth is unless Jesus comes back we're all going out by a funeral every one of us are going to die and um, what happened yesterday in this church will happen for you most likely unless Jesus comes back first and that your family is going to place you in a casket, and you're probably going to sit right here. And people are going to come down, and they're going to remember you. And then someone is going to stand in this pulpit. It might be me, it might be another pastor, your, part of your family is going to stand in this pulpit, and for 20 to 30 minutes, they're going to try to summarize your life. They're going to talk about your family and how much you love them. They're going to talk about your hobbies, the work that you did. Um, we're probably going to make fun of you a little bit because that happens at every funeral, right? We laugh about people. We laugh about their, their, their strange things that they do. We're going to talk about their, your character and all these different things. It's going to happen. But let me ask this. Can those words about Abel's faith be said about your faith? That though he died, his faith still spoke. I want that to be said about me, that when it's my turn to lay in a casket in the front of this church and someone stands up here in this pulpit, I pray that, that though I died, my faith would continue to speak for generation after generation after generation. And that's my prayer for you too, that though you died, that your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation would speak. That your faith that led you to walk with the Lord faithfully day in, day out would continue to speak. That your faith that led you to obey the Lord God in a radical way, in a way that sometimes was painful and costly, that may even got you ridiculed, would continue to speak. That people would look at your life and not just remember your career, that they would look at your life and they would remember your faith. And that your faith would point them to a faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, what tremendous examples you've given us. Oh God, it just is so uh, encouraging to hear of these, these men and these women that will study in this chapter and the, and the tremendous things that they did. But Father, I pray that we would not get lost 
in the things that they did, but remember the faith that they had. And that it was all because of faith that they were able to do the things they did. That it was by faith that Abel came to you by your way. And so by faith, we must come to you for salvation through the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray that by faith, we would walk with you, believing that you reward those who faithfully pursue you. That by faith, we would obey you, believing that just as you brought Noah through the storm, that if we live in obedience, you will bring us through the storm. pray our lives would be lives of faith. God, if there's an individual in this room today who needs to place the faith in Jesus Christ, if they've never believed on Jesus for salvation, received the forgiveness of sin that only He offers, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. And Father, if there are believers in this room today who need to make some type of decision, maybe it's a rededication to confess sin. Maybe they need to spend some time at the altar in prayer today. Maybe they've never been baptized and they realize that they need to follow through with believer's baptism. Maybe they've been visiting our church and they say, well, I want to become a member of this church and and become a part of what we're doing here to try to reach our community and our world for, for Christ. I pray that whatever that decision is, that you would give them the courage to step out of the aisles as we sing this song of invitation. That with boldness and courage, they would follow after you by faith. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are here with us and your spirit is working among us. Now at this time of invitation, we pray that you would move. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Just stand as we sing.